Yes, I have intro music. Hey, hey, hey. So what you're hearing right now um, is an original track by our Calvary Worship team directly for our kids. Hold on, I'll get to why in just a second. Just released this weekend. Fast forward a little bit. Like go into a minute and a half of it. Oh, I, I got to hold still, don't I, Zach? I'm so sorry. Okay. So the reason I wanted you to hear that is because um, last week at our school, we have a school at our church also, uh, Calvary Christian School, which goes through eighth grade. And um, we did spiritual emphasis week, uh, so that was two weeks ago now, right? Okay, so two weeks ago we did that. And um, it was fun because this year for COVID, you're welcome. We've had just an awesome opportunity. I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, we had a lot of families that were like, oh, schools aren't opening. Let me look around and see what is open. And so we had, for the number of students that left Calvary um, and didn't come back into the building, we had more than that come back out of the public arena. Uh, and some of them, let me just be straight with you, have never been to a church in their life. And so there's this young lady, and I wrote down her name because I just met her during, um, during chapel. Hold on a second. I'm so sorry. Emma O'Donnell. She's not listening. Don't worry about it. Okay, so Emma, uh, while the, the speaker on Wednesday was coming up to say, hey, what's been your favorite part about um, spiritual Emphasis Week, because we do chapels every morning with them during Spiritual Emphasis Week. Um, she goes, well, you know, I've, I've never heard worship music before until I came to chapel, which by the way, she didn't start the beginning of the year with us. This was like her fourth week at school, okay? And so four weeks into it, never been to church before, sitting in a Spiritual Emphasis Week, day three of it, she says, I've never heard worship music before. Well, here's the fun thing. So our team put together that song, our um, worship team, and then they came into chapel that day. Why? Because they wanted to record background vocals of kids singing. So they taught them that little chorus piece in the middle there, um, and I don't know if we got to the part I wasn't really paying attention of where the kids were singing in the background. Emma, who's never been to a church, who didn't know worship music, is now on a track of worship that she's going to go home and say, hey, this weekend only, we get to download this worship track that I got to sing background on. And so now, our worship team has put together something that is the gospel message. It's all about you, Jesus, and what you came to do, Jesus, to save us. Hello, I don't know if about you, but that sounds like a pretty hopeful, cool message. And she's going home, downloading that track for her parents who have never been to church to hear, because that's what they did at chapel. And I was like, what? How did it just happen that the day that they came in to record, and the, the speaker said, what's been your favorite part of chapel that this girl confesses she's never heard worship music before? Like, I don't know about you. I, I believe in some coincidences, but I also believe in the divine hand of God moving. 
And when, I, when I'm watching her get into this song, and I'm thinking through the fact that this week her parents are probably hearing this song and understanding what we as Calvary believe about Jesus, I can't help but believe God's trying to do something. And I don't know where you're at right now. I do know this. We've all had a rough year, haven't we? So I was just telling Chris, um, this time last year, I was playing basketball with my really, really athletic nine-year-old and uh, some of our neighbor kids, and I was trying to guard all three of them at the same time, and when I stepped this way and came back across, I felt like someone took a brick and just bam, right in the bottom of my ankle. And I, like, I, seriously, laying on the ground, I go, who did that? What's wrong with you guys? And I'm like, I'm angry, and they're like, ugh. We're all over here. You just fell and hit the ground, old man. And I'm like, oh, dang it. I knew what it was because I had been on, like, I loved our flag football team at Calvary. I know that sounds lame. Some of you are like, oh, flag football. No, it's all guys that played in high school that didn't realize they graduated and they think they should still be out there playing, okay? So it was rough. There was guys blowing Achilles, blowing hamstrings, throwing out shoulders. It was amazing, right? And I had seen it so many times, I knew what happened. And I'm like, dang it, I just tore my Achilles. The next week, somebody launched COVID. And I'm just like, wow. So I'm starting out COVID on crutches, which was actually a blessing because our church has this really long hallway. And I was trying to go down the hallway on crutches, and it was awful. I was like killing myself. So now I got to use a scooter. And then we didn't even have to be in the building for a while. And that felt like a blessing for a minute. A minute. Do you realize we're about to hit a year next week? Isn't it next week, I think, that COVID locked everything down? A year. We were at a meeting with our youth team at the time. Uh, we were kind of planning out the future and whatever else. And I thought, I got the call from um, Pastor Christian. He's on our leadership team. And he said, hey, we're going to shut things down this weekend. Apparently, everybody's shutting down across the country. Uh, we just need to, to figure out what to do. And I'm like, this is dumb. All right, we'll shut down, but whatever. And I, I asked Teresa and Donna, I said, this isn't going to last. We'll do this this weekend. That's fine. And here we are a year later. Is anybody fully open at their church? Hit show of hands. Okay, a few people. Is anybody like, yeah, we're open, but we're still figuring things out? Okay. Anybody like not open yet? Okay, that's okay. Well, it's been a learning curve for every single person in this room, right? And I don't know if we've stopped and talked about that enough. Like, I don't know about you. And I, I, look, I don't like numbers. And so I'm usually not that type of person, but I want to put some context to you. Okay. Because actually I started out here in normal. Um, I was here, Pastor Armand Mudlambay. And if you know him, he brought me into children's ministry. This was where I got my teeth wet on how to do ministry. And then one day I got a call from Steve Adams, who was a mentor of mine. And I ended up in normal or in Naperville, Illinois. Okay. And I remember going there, and there's a truck stop about 20 minutes, I mean, sorry, a rest stop about 20 minutes north of here that I pulled over because I was overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm going from First Assembly of God in Normal to Calvary Church in Naperville, and my mind just couldn't get around it. And I remember pulling off into this, this, uh, this rest stop and saying, God, I need you now more than ever before. And it's funny because you ever have those moments where maybe God didn't speak audibly, but he sure as heck hit you in the back of the head, and he might as well have just said it audibly. Yeah, this was one of those moments for me. He actually might have said it out loud because it was so clear to me what he said. He said, Michael, you don't need me now more than ever. You realize it now more than ever. 
There's never been a time where I didn't need God, is there? In fact, I always, without him, what am I? I'm filthy rags. There's nothing to me. But with God, he can do all things. And it was in this moment that God said, ha, I got your attention, finally. I wonder if COVID was a I got your attention moment for us. I look at how the world has unfolded over the past year. I don't know about you, but when I see, um, I mean, we live in a, a suburb that's pretty far removed from the city, but when I watch the things happen throughout the city of Chicago last year, and then when I watch things as we went through the beginning of this year and what happened at the Capitol and all sorts of, I'm just like, I don't know if we got this right. In fact, when, um, we, when this first started, I said, hey, I think God is pushing a reset button, and Chris alluded to that a minute ago. Like, I really do believe God said, hold on, reset, don't go back to normal. And everybody kept saying, oh, I can't wait for normal, especially us. Because what's normal? Oh, it's always full of kids smiling and having fun, and it feels so good. But I wonder if we weren't doing something right. Because when I look at how the, the past years unfolded, I can't help but say, normal wasn't working. I don't care who we are as the church. I don't care what we think about ourselves. It wasn't working. There's people still discriminating against each other on a regular basis. There's people talking down about each other. And it's not removed from the church. In fact, when I hear people complain about the church, half the time I'm like, well, you're an idiot anyway, but whatever. The other half I'm like, ouch. Yeah, we can't duck that one because that's for sure who we are. That's exactly the way we say some things. I've been listening to this podcast. I'm not going to say the name of it because I don't recommend it to anybody, okay? But it's been amazing for me. It's, it's a podcast. <laughs> Here's why. It's a podcast of young adults who have left the church and they're experiencing trauma from the church, okay? And this, just so you know, is a very huge narrative right now in our young adult world. So for me, I don't want to listen to some Christian person tell me about why they're saying that. I want to hear from them. And I, I listen to and I sit down and have breakfast and coffee with a, uh, with a handful of those type of people. But here I have a podcast with over a million followers who all feel the same way. Yeah, I want to hear what they have to say. And so I started listening to it. The reason I'm not going to recommend it is because it's awful. <laughs> the way they talk about the church and the words they can say while they talk about the church hurt so deeply. But every now and then they say a nugget of truth about how the church says things and how it's made them feel. And I think, ooh, man, I wish that wasn't true, but they're absolutely right. Like here's one that blew my mind. Um, purity culture. How many of you grew up in what's called purity culture? It's true love waits. Anybody heard of true love waits before? Cool. Awesome idea. Awesome philosophy. I do believe we're supposed to wait for marriage before we have sex. I do believe we should help our students understand God's best inside of a sexual relationship. The way we said some things though made people feel like, oh, I'm broken. Oh, I'm no good anymore. Oh, I have no value to give to somebody. Well, then why do I continue down this road? What's left for me? And so when I hear things like that, I have to stop and say, did we get it right? Did we understand it all? And I also know this about myself. Like, I'm not a holy person. And God says, be holy, therefore, because I am holy. And so if he says be holy and I'm not a holy person, every day should be a journey of holiness for me. Where I'm saying, what piece of who I am today does God want to talk to so that I become more like him? 
In fact, if Moses was on the mountain and said to God, hey, I want to see you face to face, and God's answer was what? No, you can't live and see me. Why? Because he's so holy, the only way to see him was every unholy piece of Moses to be ripped from him, which would mean he could not be alive anymore. And so God allows him to see his shadow. And what does just the shadow do to him? Transforms him completely. Causes his face to glow when he comes down the mountain. And the people can see the presence of God on him. That's just the shadow of God. And God says, be holy because I am holy. He wants us in that same vein of holiness that he is. So when I hear things like that, I realize that means there's something every single day I could learn about God in order to become more like him and to be, un- be able to understand him better. Not because I'm supposed to be like God or a God or anything like that. No, because I'm supposed to grow. I'm supposed to mature. What is it that Paul keeps saying in the New Testament? Hey, you should be grown up by now, but you're still drinking out of a bottle. I should be able to give you meat, but you're tossed back and forth by waves. Grow up. And so this year has been a journey for me. I have no idea if I'm going to get to notes, just so you know. Because <laughs> while we were sitting here earlier, and thank you, Chris, for everything that you were sharing on grief and pain and all those things, so helpful. But I just felt like I was supposed to shift a little bit. And I want to get to something, but I want to just be real for a couple minutes. If at any point today you just want to interject, ask a question, like in the next 20 minutes or so, I want to be able to answer questions and help us grow together. Does that sound Okay. Because I do, past, uh, when Chris said that, I, I don't know where he's at, but him and his team, uh, Jen, Teresa, Zach, Christina, guys, they're phenomenal, aren't they? And listen, yeah, please. I've been privileged enough to be able to be in this district my whole ministry career, and there was a children's director when I started. In fact, there was two different children's directors that came through, and Then when they got rid of the children's director position, I was like, oh. But I got to tell you, the way Christina and Chris and the team love this this group of people and are willing to help you in any way, shape, or form, that makes me excited. Because maybe right now you're in a spot where COVID has got you so frustrated and annoyed. Can we just be honest? Who's annoyed right now? I mean, if I have to try to play one more game without a kid touching anything, I'm like, we're not just going to play the floor is lava. We got to do something else here. The first time I did a chapel service for our school, and it was right when COVID, like right when we came back into the classrooms, I played a game where one kid touched something that another kid touched, and the principal came running down like, God, stop. I'm like, what's wrong? Are you landing a plane, or did I do something wrong? She's like, yeah, they can't touch anything. I'm like, are you for real right now? Like, nothing's going to happen. Trust me, they're going to be. Actually, I can't honestly say that because I don't know. But at the same time, I'm like, this is so crazy and ridiculous. I can't take it anymore. And then we started opening up things. And I don't know how it's been for you. Whew. Okay, so here's where I don't, I don't ever like to talk numbers, but I need you to understand a context, okay? So please forgive me if this, I don't want this to be offensive. When I, when I left here and I went to Naperville, part of my frustration was, man, I've never had a team. I worked here with a youth pastor that we shared a part-time secretary, okay? That was my team. 
right? And so I was going to, to Naperville, Illinois, where there's seven children's staff outside of who I was going to be there. So I was going to be leading this team, having to figure it out. And I was like, I got no idea. I'm just a big dummy burger from normal Illinois. Like, that's how I used to talk about it. Ain't nothing normal about normal, by the way. Right, Ryan? Thank you. Amen. Um, and so I'm heading up there thinking, like, what am I even doing? And now... Me, Teresa, and Donna are trying to do the same type of ministry we did with seven staff members. And I know, like, you're like, yeah, well, you still have people alongside of you. I want you to understand the shift in mentality it has been for us like that. Like to say, oh, now we're still going to do the same ministry we did with seven people with three people. Then on top of that, we had a good number of kids that were coming. And I'm sure most of you can say a percentage you're back at. I guarantee you, if you're not in a larger church, here's, here's the biggest downfall with a larger church. There's no way to socially distance. There's no way to make people feel safe. There's every viewpoint you could think of. I mean, we're so polarized right now on whether we should wear a mask or not, but we're wearing masks because we want to make sure we don't get in trouble from the health department because we've already had people complain. I mean, I could tell you all day long the list of this is where we're at, but the truth is we're not even at what would you say? We're just over 10, maybe 15% of our kids have come back into the building. And I'm, I'm looking like, man, hundreds of kids have not shown their face in front of us in over a year. I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually very introverted, but I get energy off being around people. I think, Chris, Stanley, I think you're kind of, I see that in you, like you love being in front of people and with people and you get that energy. Well, that's how I am. And when I walk into a hallway now, and instead of looking down at a kid's beautiful face, I look at an empty tile, I got to be honest with you, it's a hard Sunday. Like, I walk away so defeated at times. And on top of that, we're doing, like, we used to do ministry. Now we're doing ministry, right? Like, we've all buckled down and said, we're going to do this even better than we've ever done before. And I'm so proud of the children's team because, can I be honest with you, I see it the most in how you've tried to adapt and how to say, man, we're going to do whatever it takes for these kids. So I'm so proud of all of you. Yet it's still, it's like, man, I I just busted myself trying to make this happen for our kids. I don't know if any of them were part of it because they're online, they're at home, and there's a few shiny, happy faces that I don't even know how to talk to right now because do we do the same things? Do we interact the same? Do we change it up some? And so it's been a struggle. And I think what Chris was saying about taking those moments to pause, to realize, wow, this has been tough. Can we just all admit that for a second? I guess just be honest. I hate this word, but it sucks. I walk through church, and I'm like, why am I still doing this? And I bet there's somebody in this room that has thought the quit word a few times. Because to be honest with you, I'm 20 years into this almost, and I thought the quit word several times. And we talked a couple minutes ago, and I'm just going to plot some notes. Um, these are notes I took as we were talking earlier, and I, I, we talked for a second about helping our, our leader understand and and get to where he's trying to go. I heard this from uh, Mark Batterson. He said, he said, a leader can have a dream and go as far as his dream. An organization can see that dream and it can go as far as the team. 
And what he's saying is this. Like, yeah, your leader can have a vision. Your leader can have a dream right now. If he gets the team around him, you're going to take his dream and amplify it. And it's going to go somewhere greater. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Not only tearing my Achilles, um, in January of last year, we started out with a brand new pastor. So our pastor, who had been the second pastor of Calvary, retired. We brought somebody new in. I tore my Achilles. COVID happens. I'm like set up for an awesome 2020, right? Oh, yeah. And then the next week, my son cut his foot and had 12 stitches. But whatever. You know, we're not trading cards here. But anyway, uh, I remember the end of December, we did this thing called Fam Jam. And it's just a family service where we could get people into the room and we could have a great time together. And my pastor had started this verbiage and um, it it was, hey, who we have in the building right now are the people we need to be pastoring. And actually, Chris Stanley said that last month, if you were here at the youth thing, you start talking about, Christina, remember, remind me how we said it. It's not who's in the building, it's, uh, thank you, Zach got it. It's not who left, it's who's left. And he was talking about like really buckling down and saying, how can I be a blessing to those that are right here right now? And um, in the middle of that time in December, I was bucking against that so hard. I was like, no. I mean, we've got thousands of people that are out there watching our live stream. Sure, it was 17 seconds, but they were there. Like, those are our people. You can't tell me, right? And so I did this. This was our second fam jam. And uh, I set it up where we made these little red boxes. Now, this was, oh, man, I'm so brilliant. Look at me, all right? I'm like, the pastor, this is going to show you. We're going to get all the people that haven't been to Calvary yet on a Zoom link, and they're going to participate with us. And inside of that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's in for a surprise. He's in for awakening. Watch this. And then I won't give the number, but hardly anybody compared to what should have been there showed up. And I was like, and we worked so, we drove over 300 boxes around to families' homes and dropped them off. And I was so defeated and deflated. And then there was a moment where I even thought, man, am I supposed to be at Calvary? Like, I think I'm done. I went through those thoughts, friends. I talked to other people about those thoughts. It was getting dangerously close to not understanding God in the moment. And then one day, I heard that quote from Mark Batterson, and I was like, yeah, that's right. I need a team around me who's going to help me grow and see my vision. And as I'm in the middle of driving, having this thought, God smacked me in the back of the head like he likes to do. I don't know. Do you guys have those moments, or is it just me? Because I'm like, am I really that dumb and dense that I can't hear him, that he's got to keep hitting me like this? And he smacked me in the back of the head, and he said, I'm not talking about you and the team around you, I'm talking about you and how you support your leader. And if you can't support your leader, yeah, absolutely get out of there because I'm tired of hearing you. And I was like, you ever read Undercover by John Bevere? I hope so, and I hope it wrecks you because you realize, man, there's a blessing and there's a covering inside of sitting under your leadership and wanting to see God's best through them. And if you can get that, I promise you, it's going to transform the way you do ministry. It's going to transform the way you feel about your ministry and the results that you see outside of that. You're going to keep busting your head against a wall. Yeah, there's time to be able to help lead up and to be able to say to your leader, I just feel like we're supposed to do this. Challenge them, encourage them, and then listen to them. The moment they say, nope, that's not where we're at right now. 
okay, pastor, let me, let me just pray about how I help you get to where you want to be. Because inside of that, there's a huge, 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 huge blessing. I'm just rambling now, just so you know. <laughs> so this year has been a journey, and we've all been on it together. Problem is we don't feel together sometimes. And we hope our kids get on Zoom calls, and we hope our kids, like, get with our leaders. We hope we have leaders. We don't even know what that word means anymore. And then we go into our own bubble by ourselves and try to get it done. When Chris said, I would love to do whatever for you guys, um, hey, I'm, I'm the old guy. I know there's other people that are my peers in this room. And thank God for the longevity of people in children's ministry. Can we just say amen to that? Man, I'm so proud of those that have been here with me that we've stuck with it and said, we're going to keep doing this because it matters. But I'm also excited that the first three people I met today, like, I'm old enough to be their dad. <laughs> I'm not excited about that part, but at the same time, I'm so hopeful for the future because there's a generation growing up now that says, I want to invest in these kids because they need it and they deserve it. And if somebody doesn't grab them by the hand right now and walk with them, you know, that's what Proverbs means when it says train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it. That word train, think of it like this, training wheels. Do they do any good in a box on the shelf? No, they have to be attached too. And when we can go hand in hand with the child, Obviously, that's not literal. I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble here. When we can walk with a child side by side as they say, I don't get pandemic. I don't get divorce in the middle of pandemic. I don't get sickness and death in the middle of a pandemic. But when we can go alongside of them and say, I don't get it either. But man, I want to walk with you as we figure it out together. What can God do? Because he's ultimately in charge. He's ultimately the one that was the least surprised by where we'd be right this moment. And like I said, I believe with all my heart, he said, pause, don't go back to normal, let's redo this. I wanna share some thoughts with you real quick. Oh, by the way, a book I encourage everybody to read when we talk about supporting our leadership. John Bevere undercover, but if you've never read A Tale of Three Kings, Look, he writes in such a, is that Eugene, wait, who wrote that one? I can't remember. Yeah, it is Eugene Peterson. I was like, I think it's Eugene Peterson. He talks about this. He, he tells the story of David and Saul and Absalom. And he tells it in such a way that he drops these one-liners that smack you hard in the middle of the forehead. And then he moves on like nothing happened. You're like, wait a minute. Like, here, let me give you one line. He says, um, Saul threw a spear at David trying to kill him because sometimes leaders throw spears. Moving on, and you're just like, whoa, oh, oh, hold on. And his whole point is this. Sometimes you're Saul, sometimes you're David, sometimes you're Absalom. You have to decide which leader you want to be. And he goes through the process of understanding their mentality, their heart towards what was happening at the time. It'll blow your mind, okay? So I encourage you all to check that out. Now, let me jump to this because I've got like five minutes left, right? I'm just going to, this is something that um, I got to help lead our team speaking this week into our church, and I feel like this is so important for us as the children's ministry team, because here's the thing, we're still talking about millennials, like they're the thing, or we're talking about Generation Z. In fact, some people are just starting to talk about Generation Z. Hello, nobody's talking about Generation Alpha. 
They're halfway through our ministry. Do you understand that? This is the generation now who's growing up with masks. This is the generation that's speaking something into the air and lights are coming on. Like if we haven't stopped and said, what is this generation doing? What is it about? We're missing it. And God pushed pause and said, hold on a second, pandemic. Why don't you listen to me? Because I want to do something different. And if the church isn't the first ones to step up and say, we're going to look and sound and feel different than everything else, it was a waste of time. And I don't want to walk through this without getting what God wants us to know in doing what God's called us to do. So I just want to look real briefly at the life of Josiah. I'm not even going to do the notes, Ryan. I'm sorry. I'm just going to move through this real quick. We know the story of Josiah, right? Um, He's a young man. He's eight years old when he becomes king because his dad, basically there was a coup in the kingdom, killed him, launched him out, and put Josiah into the the spot. Like, what? And so he, as an eight-year-old boy, becomes the king. And what do we read from him? Reform. How? Well, first of all, he had people around him right off the bat. And right around him were the people that said, hey, maybe we should look at things differently. Why don't you start rebuilding the temple? Why don't you start thinking and feeling, figuring out what God would have for you? And so while he's rebuilding the temple, he, at 18 years old, he sends people to, to check on how the progress is going. And what happens? Hilkiah, the priest, finds the book of the law. Listen to this. Um... No, I'm sorry, 26 years old. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary Shaphan, son of Azila, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money uh, that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work in the temple. Fast forward. Hilkiah, the high priest, verse number 8 said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money uh, that was into the temple to do the work. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. He said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us. Listen, because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written here concerning us. Josiah starts his reform by getting the book and understanding what it means. And how does he do it? By having the people around him that will help him inquire of the Lord and find out what is right and good. Listen, friends, we have the most important job out of everybody. I know right now you feel frustrated and annoyed and worn out, and it's for right reason. Get with each other. Look, I will sit with anybody who just wants to vent. I would love to be there for you. Get with people so you don't quit. Why? Because there's a reform that has to happen. And our kids deserve to have somebody who will be able to say, I know the book of the law. Let's go inquire of the Lord together. And we're the people to do it. We're the ones for Generation Alpha who is watching people deconstruct their faith. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to explode. But I get it. There's 
a, there's a young generation that is still deconstructing their faith and removing Jesus completely from that faith. You didn't deconstruct your faith, you changed religions. But they're fooling our kids into believing, well, that's how you deconstruct your faith. This is what it means to be a Christian in the new world. No, you're a completely different religion. And I need our kids to understand the book of the law because this is truth. And if you don't believe this is truth, I encourage you, do research on it. Like there's physical proof of people that lived and wrote in how they, different languages, different countries, and yet it never contradicts itself. I can't watch one person's Facebook page from one day to the next without being like, you just contradicted yourself. You don't even know what you're talking about. Yet our young people are listening to them because they know truth. They don't know truth. They can't even spell that word truth but can I dare say maybe sometimes we don't know what we feel about this enough because we've listened to some of that and if we don't know what we feel about this how are we ever going to instruct our kids to know it and understand it this has to be something we're so passionate about we can't help talk about it not because it's scripture but because it's the word of god and what is the word of god well if the the bible tells me that out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks over what word of god overflowed and became flesh jesus the hope of the world What's Paul say in Romans? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. What? May Jesus overflow inside of you so much that it brings nothing but joy and peace. Pandemic? Yeah, I don't care. I got joy and I got peace. Why? Because of the hope of Jesus Christ. So I'm not worried. I'm not scared. I'm frustrated and I hate these stinking masks. And please, I went downtown Chicago a couple weeks ago to have uh, dinner with my family. They separated us and made us sit at two different tables. I'm like, are you for real? We're in the same household. I was like, I'll show you. I got my food, and I walked it over to where my girls were sitting. Like, hey, you guys want some of this? Okay. Came back over. Yeah, I'm just a punk. I know. (laughs) But I have to carry with me right now more than ever before. Our kids deserve a team of people that will say, man, I'm so passionate about the word of God in the life that it brings because I've seen it fleshed out in Jesus Christ. And I can carry that to any kid that's walking through any problem because they deserve it and they need it. So Josiah had the people around him that inquired of the Lord. They built it on the scriptures. They had the leaders come and be part of it. And then they reformed everything. Because I promise you, and I had some slides for a worldview. You guys know how to form a worldview, right? It starts with what is real and what is true, which then influences what I believe, which then influences how I behave and my actions. If we keep trying to combat actions, we're getting nowhere. Why? Because we've not changed the core of it. We've not gotten down to, well, our kids don't even believe God created the world. So how are we going to tell them that God also created them and breathed life into all things? If they don't get that, we're never going to get anywhere. So let's not combat the, the behaviors. And I've watched over the years children's curriculum, and nothing against children's curriculum. I, I know there's some hardworking people that work on this stuff. I've watched it become behavioral-based. And what the problem with that is, If there's no deep roots of this is true and this is real, the behavior is just a conversation. Oh, maybe I'll do that, maybe I won't. But when I understand a God that created all things, which means he created with a plan, 
then I also understand Romans 12 too that says God's plan is good and pleasing and perfect. And so if God's plan is good and pleasing and perfect and he created all things with a perfect plan, he must have a perfect plan for my life. And then if sin is the opposite, it's the pushing against God's good and perfect plan, now I understand why sin is so bad. I don't care how it feels. I don't care what other people say about it. Public opinion doesn't equal truth. And we've traded truth for public opinion. I'm sorry, when did the Bible become a democracy? I don't think it did. And so we can't risk losing truth in real at the cost of, oh, I just want them to feel okay about this. And I want them to know that I love them no matter what decisions they make. Yeah, absolutely. I do love all people. Man, I'm so frustrated with the rhetoric that the church has done around certain conversations that have alienated people. It hurts so bad. And if you know people that have been pushed away from the church for those things, love them, reach out to them, be their friend. Don't talk about the gospel until you show them what the gospel looks like when you walk with them. Like, I get teared up for this because I've seen so many... I mean, I've been at the same church 15 years. Kids that sat in our children's ministry on fire, singing, jumping, dancing, eventually playing instruments, now living outside of the church saying, this is all, it's all bogus. You don't care about anybody. The church doesn't love people. We should be the first ones saying, no, racial injustice is wrong. We should be the ones that say, not in our church. You're not going to act that way towards people. We should be the first ones saying, lifestyles don't dictate if I love you or not. Yeah, they change maybe how we have certain conversations, but I'm going to love you so unequivocally that I would do anything for you. But instead we're the, well, you can't be part of our circle if, well, we're talking about behavioral modification. That's not, that's not the, how it happens. Biblical worldview, they have to understand what's real. They have to see it inside of us before they're ever going to understand why we live the way we live. Is this making sense? So I'm just praying as I close here. I don't know if I said anything or not. I'm just praying, God, in this reset, in COVID, don't let us walk out of it trying to do things the way we used to do. Let us be so different that we draw people to us. Let's get back to the church being the place people want to be. Let's, let's make it a place that, like, we, we we're so frustrated that people won't come back into the building right now, but... If all it was was a place to sing songs and hear a message, why would they need to come back right now? Why can't it be a community of people that love each other so much that they help each other through every single thing that they're walking through, that encourages and uplifts and helps them understand God is good and loves them no matter what? Why can't it be that type of place? I promise you, if that's the type of place we were as a church, starting in children's ministry, they would be lining up to get back into our doors. They would be saying, I can't wait. Man, school stunk. Had to talk to my teacher through Zoom again. I have no idea what that one kid was saying because they just were so loud. And, ah, but I can't wait to go to church this weekend because, man, there's people there that love me. Man, there's people there that get it. Can we be that type of people? Because we have a generation that deserves it. What if Generation Alpha, think of it this way. Because one day people are going to be like, hey, are you the kids that grew up with the masks? Like, think about it that, all right? When you get to be my age, you're going to be looking back like, remember those dummies had to wear masks? <laughs> think about business people. Oh, you got your degree? When was it? Oh, you graduated in that year that you, like, didn't really go to clinicals. You didn't really go to labs. Yeah, I feel like there's, like, going to be a stigma to it. But what if we change that narrative? 
What if Generation Alpha was the one they looked at like, oh, you guys were in the middle of that great reform called COVID, where all of a sudden the church stood up and did it differently. And now because of them and because of you, everything's different. Here's the exciting thing. Do you know who came out of Josiah's kingdom? A couple of guys we might know of, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Jeremiah. They were probably young, super young, in the middle of Josiah's reform. And because of the way they did things, because of the way they partnered and went back to the scriptures, they looked down the face of a lion. They stood in the flames and said, I don't know if God's going to save me, but even if he doesn't, I will not give in. What if that was Generation Alpha? What if those are the ones that you and I get the privilege and the honor of being investing in? I don't care what, I don't, when I think about that, I don't care what my pastor says to me, although I love him and don't take that wrong. I don't care what he says to me. I don't care what I have to do differently and what I got to wipe down and what kind of mask I got to wear if there's a chance. And I'm talking even if there's a little chance that inside Generation Alpha at Calvary Church, God's going to raise up a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or a Daniel, or a Jeremiah that's going to change a culture of Babylon. So that, whew, that's what I get excited about. That's what even at this age, I can get out of bed every morning after a long weekend and say, I get to be part of children's ministry today. That's why I can look at the regulations and the rules and say, Okay, that stinks, but come on over here, because look what we get to do, and we get to do that together. So if there's ever anything I can do to encourage you, if you're that person that feels like this was the week you're going to quit, man, I would love to talk to you specifically, because my heart's for you, because I know it's hard and lonely and difficult at times, but it's so worth it. When I think of standing before God and him saying, well done, good and faithful servant, it's not because I prayed or because I read my Bible or because it's because I gave everything. I left it all out there so that one kid might know God. Even if it's just one, it's worth it to me. And I know it's worth it to you too. Chris, I know you're coming back up here. Let me just pray for this team though. Father, you've given us such a privilege such an opportunity to invest in what the future looks like. And God, I know you said you'd build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I look at Generation Alpha and I think they're the strongest thing coming out of the church for centuries. And I know you want to do something inside of them. So I pray use every one of my friends in this room. And God, there's that person whose heart is hard right now. It hurts. It's broken. And Lord, I just pray that you would begin to mend it you begin to remind them how much you love them and how much they're your child. You say they're fearfully and wonderfully made. You say they're made in your image and you have a special spot for them right now. I know that. And I pray they would just reach out to somebody who would encourage them and lift them up so that we can continue to invest in the future. Lord, we pray this. Let there be a generation that can stand up against anything that will not waver or turn to the side, but will say, I know my God, I know who he is and what he can do. And even if it doesn't look easy and good for me, I will not abandon that or walk away from it. And then let the name of Jesus be lifted higher than it's ever been lifted on this earth since the day he was here. Lord, I pray that would be what our kids do, our teens do, our young adults do, and all of us as leaders. Let that be what we invest in, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Man, that was so good. Hey, stay, stay up here, man. I, uh, I, I, I was taking some notes again and, uh, man, just dropping some incredible uh, knowledge on us. One of the things that you said uh, that kind of stuck out to me is, is when you were talking about that quit mindset, right? Like, I think all of us have been there, like, really quickly, and, and I'm, I'm talking about ever, not now, uh, but ever. If you have ever had that moment where you're like, I'm done. Can you just throw your hand up in the air? I have. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly have gone through moments where I've had a quit mindset. Uh, practically, uh, Pastor Michael, what are some things that you do to help usher yourself out of that quit mindset? And what are some, so, so when you're in the quit mindset, what are some things you can do to usher yourself out? But, but also, two-part question, what are some things that you can do before you're even in the mindset to set yourself up to have a brief stay there? Yeah, well, you could quit before you get there. That way, you're just joking. <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a great idea. See you, you quit later. before you get there. You know, okay, just kidding. Uh, that's a great question, and now I just messed myself up because I don't remember. You said, well, how, do we, how can we get out of that mindset? First of all, name one kid you've seen affected by something that maybe even you didn't do, but your ministry was part of making it happen. In the moment, like when I think of that girl, I had nothing to do with that song. I, I'm not musical by any means. Our worship team put that together. I arranged for them to be at chapel and to know there's a chance her family might be saved because of that. Nothing can make me quit at this point. I'm like, yeah, God, line up more of those divine appointments because he does. And I know you've already seen them in your ministry. Maybe a great thing to do, have a regular practice of naming somebody that you know has been affected because of something that you've seen happen in ministry. Write their name down, pray for them, and be reminded, yeah, that's because of what we do. That's, that's why we keep doing what we're doing. It doesn't matter if anybody says thank you because we're all honest, right? Nobody's going to tell the children's ministry team thank you. It doesn't happen that much, does it? Like, unless you're on the stage singing or... No, it's not like I'm digging on worship people. I don't mean that by any means. <laughs> but it's not a thank full like arena is it maybe maybe your church is completely different and you get all the thanks in the world please thank them for thanking you okay because it doesn't happen in most That's places right. yeah. in fact Teresa can tell you because she's um out front the most in our children's ministry she doesn't hear the thank yous she hears why did you serve this or did my kid really get picked out or like she hears all those things she doesn't hear man thank you so much for what you guys do so write those down go back to them as often as you can because when you get to that quit moment now erase their name. And if I quit, that may never have happened. They may never have heard about who God is and how much he loves them. How do you get there before that? Same thing. Constantly go back to those names. Constantly talk about and think about, man, these people. God is doing something because he's given us the, the opportunity as a clay vessel to carry this message. So I'm going to keep doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's so good. And I loved what you said about holding on to those moments memorializing those moments where you had a kid testify or you had a family come back to you and say something broke for the good yeah. and it was great thank you so much for that I know that I spent 20 years in youth ministry and I saved every note every letter everything that like I have a box I have uh, notes in my office uh, from students in my youth ministry and there will be times when I pull that box out and I'll pull letters out and I'll just start reading them 
and it's so good for me. I'm, I'm, I'm a words person, so to read those things, it really helps me uh, understand why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, so you talked a little bit about, or you talked a lot about Generation Alpha. I just talked a lot, sorry. You just talked, a, no, no, whatever. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. So like, what, what's something that makes Gen Alpha, the kids that are in our children's ministries right now, What's something that sets them apart, in your opinion, from other, from other generations? What sets them apart from Gen Z and, and millennials? Yeah, so let me give you two things, one to look sure. out for and one to encourage. Um, so something to look out for Generation Alpha is they've just had everything in front of them. And we're learning from Z and millennials. When there's too many options, what happens? There's no option. And so our Generation Alpha is growing up with that. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. And so they're... they're there's a risk of them becoming like apathetic towards things, um, becoming very, I hate to say this word, but lazy, especially, you know, if anybody have parents in this room, okay, so your kids get off of Zoom and they have homework, and what's the sentiment? Oh, it's like, okay, you can play Fortnite later, all right? Just get this done and it'll be okay. But there's like a, no, let's postpone that, let's push that off, because they're just so overwhelmed right now with everything that could happen or is happening. So we gotta be cautious of that and make sure to help walk them through very specifics. If anybody is a type A personality, like this is the time for you to blossom inside of this culture and to be able to say, man, you might not be good at this and you might not feel good about this. I'm gonna help you succeed though. And let me come alongside of you and let's do this. How about you do your homework this amount of time and you do this over here? Like that really would help our kids right now. I'm a anti-A personality when it comes to myself. Like, I'm like, yeah, that might, I have no two cares. Let's do something different. I mean, so it's so hard for me that that's, that's just a difficulty. Okay, so that's the thing to watch out for. The thing to encourage and invest, anything is possible in their minds. Like I was saying, they've seen so much, like, Alexa, close the garage door. What? Like, if I, if you, when I was a kid, I would have thought you were crazy for thinking anything like that can happen, and yet it's happening in front of them. What does that mean? Our young kids are growing up believing anything could happen. What a great time to be somebody who teaches them about faith, where there's all the limitations tore off of, well, I don't know if there's a God that can really, are you for real? You're talking into the air right now and lights are coming on. You don't think God can speak and lights appear? Oh, let me just give this real quick. We've got to be cautious. There's things we say that don't make any sense at all. And there's, this is the one that I was sharing with Chris yesterday that is driving me nuts right now. God doesn't take, Jesus doesn't take away my sin, okay? When we teach a kid that, oh, well, then there's no big deal if I sin. No, my sin is there. You know the good news? Jesus sees it there and meets me there to pay for it. It's not gone. I'm sorry, just spit. It's not gone. It's very much real in there. And when we show them, yeah, but God so loved the world that he was willing to get his son down here to cover that over. It's still there. There's a price for it because the wages of sin is death. But thank God that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me to pay for that right there. It's not gone. It's paid for. Like those little pieces help this next generation understand. And don't, don't go on the, please don't go up without a Bible when you're in front of kids right now. Don't do it on your phone. I know it's so much easier. Don't do it on an iPad when you're with the kids. Do it in front of adults. Our kids need to understand this. 
And I would just encourage you as much as you can for this generation, show them the importance of it. You know what the early Hebrew people did? They took some honey. Yeah, don't yell at him, Zach. <laughs> they took honey and they put it on the lips of the babies and they read the scriptures. Why? They wanted them to taste and see how good it was. And so they heard these scriptures being read while they were growing up and they tasted something sweet and it connected something inside their brain that says, oh, I want more of that. I need that. We've got to make this taste so good to our kids right now. We've got to show them this is life and they can have Amen. it too. Amen. No, you know what? It's funny. I was laughing with Zach because we were talking about that very thing on the way up here. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I'm, I'm trying to get our leaders and our student leaders to understand is like, get a physical notebook with a physical pen, get a physical Bible yeah. and, and, and put it in front of your people because that's discipleship. I remember a moment that I had when I was up early in the morning and I was doing a devotional on you version and I had my phone out and my daughter Chloe came out, she woke up and she's like, hey dad, what game are you playing on your phone? Right? And I wasn't playing a game, I was reading my Bible. I have nothing against electronics. I have nothing against our digital Bibles. I have nothing against like taking notes on an iPad. I, personally, I've just disciplined myself to have a journal and to have pens and to have my physical Bible out there because I just feel like it's discipleship, yes. right? I, I, I'm, te I'm trying to teach our students in youth ministry uh, to do this, our, our youth pastors, our children's pastors. I just think because kids are so visual and they see you, you know, and they're growing up in a world where phone in your hand means playing a game, you're on social media, that's where they're going to, yeah. but Bible in your hand is showing them, okay, this is important, this is foundational, right? And remember, good habits are caught, not taught. Like, I could tell my kids all day long, put your shoes away, but if my shoes are sitting there by the front door too, they're like, why? Or I could tell them, hang up your clothes, this is real, but if mine are sitting in the basket still beside my bed waiting for me to get to hanging them up, then they're like, oh, I don't, why do I need to do that? The moment I start doing it and then say, hey, will you do this? It makes more sense to them. So we've got to be people who, who model and represent. And I would say this, encourage all your parents. Maybe you're not like, you don't have that time where you read the Bible regularly. Start it by just doing it in front of your kids. So I study many different times. There's always a time that I'm going to open up my Bible. It sits on our coffee table in the side room. I sit in the couch. I open the physical Bible and I write things down. It might be like, hey, I'm just writing one sentence, reading it, but I'm doing it in front of them so that they see it and they understand Oh, this is real to dad. Because remember, by the age of 12, what's Barna say? They've already determined what is and isn't true about their parents' faith. So if you keep saying the Bible's important, read it, and they never see you do it, I don't care if you've memorized the whole book of the, all the books of the Bible and every single word inside of them. If you've not done it in a way they can see it, it doesn't matter to them. They're not going to get it. And so Generation Alpha especially has to see us say, no, this is important. And then here's the fun part. Tell them why. Like, tell them stories of, oh, let me tell you this time where I was in that pit like David is. And I thought, God, when are you going to save me from this pit? And it didn't come right away. And it didn't feel like it was ever going to come. And then one day, I don't know why he didn't answer all these other times, but then one day. And when they see that, it connects reality to the faith. It connects, oh, this is good. This is real. And I love it. So, And I'll tell you one thing that I always appreciated as a youth pastor is, is when we had students coming up from our children's ministry that were just, I mean, I have my Bible and I have my notebook and I am ready to go. And it's funny because it's like those incoming sixth graders were actually pushing and challenging 
some of the older kids in that room. So I just wanted to say hmm. thank you so much for what you are doing. Thank you so much. You know, I, I, and I'm sure, I don't know if you've ever heard this before in ministry. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard this before, but don't you love it when like people in your church come up to you and say, you're gonna make a great pastor one day. <laughs> and what they mean is like lead pastor, <laughs> as if you're not a real pastor right now. Your calling is essential. Yes. Yes. You are real pastors. Yes. You are doing the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and not only that, but you're doing it I really, and I, and I hope I'm not being too sensational here, I really, no pressure, but the future of, of the church looks a lot like who you're catching right now mm. in, in your children's ministries. Yeah. Did you just hear what Michael just said about the Barnapole? Kids are determining what's real and what's not real about their parents' faith, like by the time they're 12. Uh, that's you. <laughs> now, okay, hold on. That's their parents. We're not, we're, not, we're not giving allowance for parents to abdicate responsibility to you. That's their parents. But a lot of these kids who are coming into your children's ministry right now in their most formative years, like, man, please don't just, don't, don't, don't just punt that time to small truths that they can walk away from. Always look for the big truths that they can grow into. Yes. It's, it's, it's so important, and I just want to say thank you to all of you guys. Yes. Michael, phenomenal word. Can I share one resource real quick? Absolutely. I'm sorry, because I didn't get to yeah, some of this. Um, so about eight years ago when I was trying to think, actually it's been, wow, my daughter's 15. Okay, so about 13 years ago, my wife and I sat down and said, hey, what are we trying to do? We're about to have a second child. What do we want for them as they grow up? Um, and so we really started praying, and God gave us this value system we do for our family. And it's off of the two great commandments of love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says this, get those right. All the law and the, the words of the prophets are summed up inside of that. And so I always wonder, like, why don't we try to get that right more often? Um, well, we developed this process for our family that we actually turned into our child dedication curriculum. It's free. I would love for you all to go download it and at least watch it and see, hey, does there something here that resonates? I feel like it could be a blessing to you and your church. Um, it's the first step for us of being able to say, this is what it looks like to walk with your kid hand in hand and to give them that foundation. Go to calibratedvalues.com. Um, just so you know, I filmed these videos the next week I got COVID. Uh, and so at the beginning of November, while I'm laying pretty much half dead in my bed, I was editing the videos and putting together the website. I have not gone back to it since. So it is the ugliest, worst website on earth. And it hopefully will make some little bit of sense. But look at those videos, see if it doesn't bless you because it's a hand in hand tool to say to a parent, let's build a foundation around loving God with heart, soul, mind and strength. And then let's learn how to love our neighbor as ourself. And I feel like it could be a, a resource for, for people. So.